from Quite the Thing Media. Hi everybody, my name is Jack Sean, this is Quite the Interview, the podcast where I literally ask questions that maybe have never been asked before. Just before we start, a quick shout out, we are hosted on Captivate and we are recording on Squadcast, both cracking bits of software. Today joining me is Paul Carenza. Am I saying that right, Paul? Is that right? It sounds good to me. I'll be honest. I'm, I'm I made up the surname. It's a stage name, so you can say however you like. I won't. You know, there's no family to offend in that sense. It's a bit of fiction, right? Okay. So, wh- why did you pick Carenza then? Because, yeah. Well, I'm. I'm. My real name is Paul Young, which is the '80s pop sensation. And uh, and then I started doing stand up comedy and and the like. I just I, I couldn't go on stage as Paul Young because people would expect songs about hats and where to put them. Um, <laughs> that's a test for who knows the Paul Young songs. But uh, but yes, yeah, so I and I picked the name Carenza. It was my mum's dog's name at the time, and I thought well, that'll do. Good enough for the dog. Good enough for me. Yeah, Paul. So I first came across you listening to the British Broadcasting Century, which is a podcast that you do basically about the history of radio right from the start. Mm-hmm. You, you're you also a, a comedian, a writer, producer, host. Is there anything that you you don't do? Basically? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make good tea. Um, I need someone for that. I um, Yeah, the, the, the podcast, I mean, all of these things come about because I'm, I wear many hats. You know, I'm a stand-up comic, but also I've always done a bit of writing as well. And then you just throw a pandemic into the situation the gigs vanish and you know you put a different hat on so in that case the podcast really was the replacement for my stand-up gigs which you know I used to do three a week and then I've done three in the last year so uh instead you need something to occupy yourself you know and that was that was my lockdown project was was trying to chronicle the the history of the BBC the history of British broadcasting uh, just because uh, I've read it in a few books and I thought well let's bring it to life there are some old audio clips. They're a public domain. They're out there in different corners of the internet. I thought, let's gather them. It's an audio story, and podcasting lended itself perfectly to that. So uh, here we are a year later, yeah. I didn't realise that I wanted to know anything about the history of radio until I started listening to your podcast, man. I've really enjoyed it. I've actually been on it. You have? <laughs> yeah. Fuck me. It was awful. The voice actors, I always thought, that's easy. Like. Surely anybody can do that. And listening to myself back, giving the sort of monologue, I was cringing, to be perfectly honest with you. Do you know what? First of all, I was there thinking for a second. I thought, I thought, can you remember who you... A, don't, don't be so hard on yourself, right? Um, and B, I thought, can I remember what was your... Who did you play? Because the whole, whole point was it was a... a it's quite, quite intense, but it's a parliamentary reconstruction. Because of this thing could uh, Hansard, you know, which chronicles all of the discussions in Parliament, they're all there for the last 150 years or whatever, or longer. So I thought, yeah, we can find out those the, the debates in Parliament that c- created the BBC and broadcasting. They are there for public use. And I, you know, I emailed the Hansard people. They said, yeah, you can do what you want with them. Just credit us. So, yeah, yourself and other listeners all recorded some bits. But I remember that you were Sir Donald McLean. And I know that because I, I saw the word Mac at the front and I thought, <laughs> Jack is Scottish, 
Donald McLean, I've no idea if Donald McLean was Scottish or not, to be honest. But I thought, that, 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 that fits that. But yeah, it was one heck of a monologue you had to do there. It was quite a big one, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. And I know a few voice actors, a lot of them do podcasts, have a couple on the network called Callers Comedy and Mockbusters are professional voice actors and that's what they do. And like I said, I kind of thought it was, without putting too fine a point on it, a piece of piss. Turns out it's not like to actually put across feeling, etc. And your voice is something that I struggled to do. But the nice, what, what I did like about it though was the fact that we, I mean, we had some people who gave it some and, and you know, tried to be like parliamentarians, well, you know, the right honourable gentleman and all the stuff that you, you know, the normal bollocks you hear of parliament. Um, you know, because some, some politicians put on a bit of a show and they really, you know, in real life, they get into it. And others, to just deliver their piece and say, here's what I want to say, and I'm just going to say it. And what I loved was the fact, because people weren't working together, you said yours in, someone else said theirs in, you stitch it together and you've got a real mix. And I, so I think it sounds great, the fact that you've got some of you who just go, I'm, this is what I want to say, I'm making my point in a deliberate, deadpan way. If you don't like it, you can walk out of Parliament, you know. <laughs> and then you've got <laughs> others who really try and, uh, you know, do the whole, uh, I don't suppose, the Boris thing, really, you know, that really sort of try and uh, get the wind up them. So, good mix, I think. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was um, a two-parter. It was a big, a big chunky, a big chunky two-parter, Paul. You mentioned writing as well, so is there anything you've written for that people might know? I know you have. Yeah, okay, so now say it. So in other words, say them. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the main ones, I suppose, then, uh, and the thing is, I've written for a few things that don't make the CV so much because they're not as famous, but uh, Miranda, her sitcom, Miranda Hart sitcom uh, called Miranda, I uh, wrote that with her, Not Going Out, the Lee Mac sitcom. I've literally got the next episode in front of me on my screen, and uh, I'm sort of doing that before and after this podcast, the next series uh, of that. Uh, we're on season 12, I think, of Not Going Out Now, something like that. Um, and then I've done some entertainment shows like Top Gear, TFI Friday, uh, a one-off special with Michael Bublé at the BBC, Raw Variety Show. But those sorts of things, that was a, a, like a little era of a couple of years where suddenly I was I knew the right producers uh, that got me in to do those sorts of shows. And, uh, and then those producers retired or went off to write a novel in you know Spain or something and then just stop making telly and then that becomes a bit of a dead end but you know I switched back to doing the sitcoms again just started doing some children's stuff for uh, CBBC so it's it's all just getting to know the right producers and then hope they don't retire as indeed many of the ones I've worked with have and you know like Miranda Hart she stopped writing for TV she starts writing children's books uh worked with Chris Evans for a bit on his stuff and he's now just doing radio so all of this writing game, you know, if you're working with other people, you just got to hope that the if you can cling to a celebrity's coattails, just hope <laughs> that they keep making telly like Lee Mack does. As long as he keeps going, you know, Chris Evans stops, Miranda stops, they just do radio and books. I need to cling to those celebrities' coattails or indeed find a new celebrity. That's the other thing I need to do. Or just get some of my own stuff made. That's the nice thing. I'm pitching ideas all the time, but unfortunately there's a bit of an obsession at the minute in TV and radio with, with superstardom. So if you're famous, you can get stuff made. And otherwise, I'm clinging to those coattails. You mentioned Lee Mack. I'm a big fan of Lee Mack. He was recently on one of my favourite TV shows. He was on Taskmaster. What's he like? Like, Is he, is he constantly on? Is he just a, has he got funny bones? Is he one of those guys? You, you said the exact phrase that I would have used. He is constantly on, you know. And uh, we, most of the last few seasons of Not Going Out, we've written remotely. 
Um, but the first two or three seasons we worked on together in the room. We went to Lee's house, his back garden shed for season two, I think it was. And we'd break and he'd go make a cup of tea in the kitchen. But he's doing jokes and puns about the tea bags and about the mugs and about this and that. He doesn't, you know, his poor wife, he doesn't stop. But uh, but he 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 is a, a comedy-aholic and he would just, he'd keep making TV shows, whatever happens. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's why we're still doing season 12 of Not Going Out, because he just he just loves jokes. Right, so we're going to get into the radio side of things now. Why radio? Any specific reason? Were you a massive fan of it growing up? Or was it just a case of, there's something that has a lot of history? Uh, what it was, actually, I'd written for radio, and I'd worked, I'd done a hospital radio, and I'd done a little bit of, um, a tiny bit of broadcasting, but not a lot. And if I'm honest, I'd never really been a radio ham or a, a particular fan of the engineering side of it. I'm not a radio geek as such. Um, I, I like a good story. I think that's all it is. I think, I think that's all it is, because I, I wrote a, a book a few years ago on the history of Christmas called Hark, the biography of Christmas. And it was all everything, Dickens, Christmas puddings, everything to do with it. Why do we do what we do at Christmas? Because it's all full of, full of weirdness, you know? And, um, and and I was doing it in chronological order and I got to 1922 and it was the first BBC Christmas. And that kind of mattered really, because it was something that really then started to spread this very London centric version of Christmas across the world, you know, eventually with the Empire and the Empire Service of the BBC. So, you know, it, it wasn't just a one-off thing. It, that did change how a lot of the world celebrated Christmas. And researching that then for the book, I just read that statistic that the first BBC Christmas, the BBC was one month old. It had 30,000 listeners approximately and four employees. And I just thought, well, who are those four? How is that working? How do you run anything with just four people involved? And then, of course, I did some digging, found out there's Arthur Burroughs, first voice of the BBC, but also the first children's presenter, the first actor for radio, uh, first director of programmes, and this visionary with a clear idea of what he thinks broadcasting should be, a radio in every house, all that sort of stuff. John Reith, I'd heard of, knew he was this puritanical kind of guy, um, again, had a very different sort of vision of radio public service and elevating people's cultural level and all that sort of thing. So these two guys, particularly Arthur Burroughs and Peter Eckersley, they really rubbed each other up the wrong way and both had clear ideas of what broadcasting should be. You've got Arthur Burroughs, very straight-laced, thought radio should be concerts and poetry readings and that sort of stuff. A radio set in every house had a very clear vision of that. Peter Eckersley just wanted to have fun, you know, a couple of years out of the war and he just wanted to be anarchic, wild, the government said shut off after half an hour. Eckersley's like, forget that. Hour and a half later, keep on going. Just wanted a, a good laugh, a bon viveur. And then became the chief engineer of the BBC, had affairs, uh, discovered fascism and supported the Nazi party in the uh, late 30s. And, you know, all of that stuff that we've yet to get to on the podcast. But when I was reading all that stuff, then quickly I found there's a story in here. I don't know, where, still don't quite know if that story is best told as a novel, as a podcast, as a TV drama. I'm trying all three. I thought that way I could do all the research at the same time. And I'm literally, as we speak, trying to do the podcast and write the book. And I'm pitching it as a TV show. Obviously, that's a massive long shot. Um, but it's just the BBC centenary next year. And that really hooked me in. You, How long do you plan on going? When does, it, when does radio stop becoming history? Are you planning on doing right up? <laughs> Keep going, you know, if you're, if you're not even into the 30s yet. 
Yes, good point. Um, I mean, I can see there's enough in the 20s to keep us going for a, a while yet. It's, it's not quite real time, but it's almost like, you know, I could spend another five years just doing the 1920s on the podcast, you know, five years of my time before we get to the 30s even. Um, but really, I mean, my interest, I think, because people, people, people are now starting to send me stuff, you know, about here's an old radio show, here's an old magazine from the 60s or 70s or whatever. Um, I used to say my interest is purely the 20s, although the more I read, like certainly going into the 30s, it gets kind of interesting. I think up to about the war, uh, maybe the Second World War. But actually, you know, then the BBC has a other whole new life that it takes on there, um, offering foreign language services across the world and propaganda and all this sort of area. Um, but I think for me, because my interest particularly is, is the characters, Burroughs and Eckersley, John Reith, also Hilda Matterson, we've not got to on the podcast yet. She's fascinating because she's a, an ex-spy. She's a, a lesbian who's had a, having affairs with uh, uh, Vita Sackville-West, a poet who was off with Virginia Woolf. They're in a kind of love triangle. Hilda Matterson was secretary to the first female MP in, in, uh, in Parliament in Westminster. And she became the first director of talks. So she's kind of invented talk radio as we know it, really. Um, she arrives about 1926. So she's a fascinating one. Uh, I think once all of that, and she quits in about nineteen, about nineteen thirty-ish, the same time that Peter Eckersley quits because he's had an affair. Um, Burroughs is left long before that, and Reith quits in like late thirties. I think so. One once our main cast of characters have moved on, and then the BBC is left to all those, those Johnny Come Latelys. I think that's probably where my interest will wane as well. But uh, it's about the people for me. Yeah, so you're taking that real deep dive into the the history, Paul. What do you think everybody listening knows about radio, basically? It's invisible. It, it goes through the air. And that's kind of magic when you think about mm. it. Yeah, like... it is. And <laughs> even, you know, you look at the books uh, uh, back in the day. I've got them all, all here. I've got the, uh, oh, I've reached somehow and see if I can find it. One of the first books on broadcasting is, uh, where is it? This one here. No, it's not. This one here. Uh, broadcasting from within by Cecil Lewis that is the first book on broadcasting and they do talk about the ether you know which we still think of and talk about today you know sounds from the ether songs from the ether putting out into the ether but back then they genuinely thought there was a, an invisible layer of the of air called the ether they didn't quite know what it was or how to define it but they just thought that's somehow this like almost invisible shelf that all of the sound kind of sits on and floats across you know and then in time, they realise, actually, there's no real thing as the ether. It's just radio waves going through the air. So, But then, of course, you get, um, well, cable, like Peter Eckersley, who I mentioned, the chief engineer and the wild and arcade guy. Back in the 20s, he was pitching to the BBC that we should have cable and have multi-channels. He wanted, in the 20s and 30s, he was picturing, as TV was just coming in, he was picturing flat screens on walls where we could choose between the tennis, children's programmes, multi-channel freeview cable he was predicting like 70 years probably or 60 years before it happened you know so nowadays we think of radio and indeed broadcasting i think as uh, entertainment i suppose stuff that comes into our house uh, but yeah even back then they were having formulating those ideas um that just have taken a century to uh, to end up where we are now with netflix and podcasts i suppose well that is that we're going to go into some of the cellular questions now Paul. So this sort of popped into my head the other day. When was the last time you've heard the term 
that's about as exciting as lift music. But when was the last time you actually heard music in a lift? Do they pump out music in lifts anymore? Is that a thing? It's not a lot, is it? I think it's probably department stores only. I can't think of many others. Um, and of course, you know, the irony is I've not been in a lift for quite a while now, you know. And in fact, I was joking to someone the other day saying, I think I've forgotten how to walk on an escalator. You know, I've not I've not ridden one in a year. <laughs> Need uh, to maintain it just right so you don't it is, it's tricky, isn't it? My first time back on, I'm gonna fall over. This is I'm gonna just run for it and just collapse and face plant onto the metal, you know. But um uh yeah, so I, it's been a while since I was in a lift in, in, to begin with, but I think probably I don't know, Debenhams, do they have lift and Debenhams is gone now. So when will we ever hear lift music again? Who can say? Who can say exactly? You're only allowed to keep one of these, Paul. Um Radio waves or the actual ability to wave? I don't know. I, I don't think I'll wave that I, much anyway. Not Although, a big but, waver. No. Not a big waver. But then again, how, how else would I end a Zoom call if I can't <laughs> wave anymore? You know, I'm used to that. Bye! You know, I don't know when that's, how that became a thing. You know, the end of phone calls. You know. but Actually, someone said the other day, said, the end of phone calls, you don't wave. And I thought, yeah, because on a phone, they can't see you, but they can on a Zoom call. But... Yeah, so I, I I don't know. I, I think I wouldn't miss waving. I think bring on the radio waves. Yeah. Yeah, that was a bit of a silly one, I suppose. I'm not much of a wave on myself. Let's go further back then. Yeah. Who invented radio or first started experimenting with sending sound over the airwaves? Well, I mean, the big one you've got is Marconi. Of course, Guglielmo Marconi, and uh, although he wasn't, he didn't do it alone. Of course, you know, he, although he was, you know, he was a one-man operation, really. But he was uh, uh, building on, you know, nearly a century before him of everyone Faraday and and Morse and um, a lot of those people. Hertz, Heinrich Hertz, who theoretically worked out radio waves could exist, and but Marconi was putting it all into action. And there's this lovely uh, tale about him. You know, obviously he's Italian. He tried to pitch his idea to the Italian Navy. He did, was doing wireless tests in his bedroom, like the first teenagers to listen to the radio because there wasn't radio. And um, the Italian Navy weren't interested. So he came to London because his mum was part of the Jameson Whiskey dynasty, had lots of connections in, in London. So he came over as like 18, 19, 20 years old. And he walked up to this uh, big scientific meeting in London, got, put down two boxes, transmitted wirelessly from one to the other, and like in a drops mic moment, except without an actual mic. Yes. Yeah, no mics. Uh, he just said, my name is Guglielmo Marconi, and I've just invented wireless and just walked out. And it's just like, boom, there you go. Take it or leave it, world. And, uh, and we took it, you know. And how long ago was that? What year was that when he first sort of dropped his invisible mic? Uh, I should know that, shouldn't I? I think it's 1896. Yeah. Um, I- Saying that from memory, so it's it, it's but it's again yeah, turn of the century is, is when that sort of was happening, and then five years later he's managed to you know the distances got bigger. Nineteen oh one, he's uh, transmitting across the Atlantic, you know, so it just grew and grew. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy because we are now in twenty twenty one, and we've recorded on Squadcast twice, and we're on Zoom now, Paul, because yeah. we, we still can't get it right in twenty twenty one. To it's record shocking. remotely, absolutely shocking. It's yeah. Shocking, isn't it? So any sound quality change, it might change again. I mean, it might go megaphones. It might, <laughs> might do uh, might do two tins of baked beans with a long bit of string between them. You know, who knows what will be next? We'll have to uh, go old school. 
I don't want you to tell us your age, but did you ever use the the beans and string? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> you did. I can't. Re- well, the the age giveaway will be like uh, I'm 42. Uh, is the answer to that question? The age giveaway will be what was on the cover of of the tins. Is it spaghetti? Is it alphabetic spaghetti? Is it? Um, yeah, I don't think we ever got. I think I think baked beans with sausages in hadn't quite. <laughs> yet. I think they were a few years off. You know that tasty combo. Yes. Oh yes, never, never quite worked. Oh no, breakfast in a tin. Have you seen that? It's got eggs, bacon, yeah, beans. Yeah. Oh, oh man, yeah, oh, not, not for me. I'm going to have a little bit of a dig at radio here. Do if you, if you just shut your eyes. Yep. Isn't everything basically just radio? Well, now you've rocked my world. This is it. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, well, also, I mean, it's, it's difficult to know what radio is anymore, isn't it, really? Because there is, radio is, you think, oh, yeah, I'll turn on the radio, FM, AM, got that. DAB, that's also radio. Podcasts, that isn't radio. Why not? Because it's pre-recorded? Because it's via the internet? Not quite sure. Uh, audiobooks, you know, it used to be a cassette you put in. That's not radio. Uh, Audible, though, when you play it on your phone, if I can play on my phone a live radio station or on, with a different tap of an app, uh, a podcast or an Audible thing or whatever, you know, it kind of, they all feel the same, don't they, really? Um, and in fact, I've done, I used to be driving to gigs, I'm going to confess now, right, that I, you should never, ever watch TV while driving. Don't do it. But sometimes, <laughs> of course you shouldn't, no. <laughs> of course not. But I sometimes would have in the past, I, not for a long time, because I don't want to get caught, but um, played a Netflix stand-up special and just listened to the audio of it as mm. I'm driving. Because some of the, you know, you, you wouldn't pick a visual act, but sometimes I think, well, that guy's <laughs> just going to speak in a microphone for an hour and a half, is all he does. So I'd listen to that. But then you go, yeah, that is kind of just listen to the radio, really, aren't I, really? So, um, yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're not watching Gamora when you're driving along, are you? No. If it's got subtitles, <laughs> forget it. Yeah. Yeah. That is it. That is it. If dinosaurs didn't all die, do you think they would have invented radio at some point? Do you think they would have evolved to? They would have to be much bigger radio sets, wouldn't they? Yeah, big um, massive ones, yes. With uh, I don't I just imagine a, a T Rex just with the little hands after the, the 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 dials had to be just in the right place wouldn't they yeah. because they wouldn't crouch down too much your T Rexes yeah, uh, yeah right. it was a matter of time isn't it matter of time yeah and I suppose they couldn't T Rexes couldn't put the ear, earphones in you know that was a struggle for them yeah yeah because I one thing I have realised is those early radio sets it's it's headphones only it's like one. Uh, one listener per radio set, really. If you're lucky, I mean, people used to put the radio, the headphones in a bowl so that it would, you know, amplify it. Right. But those, the idea of us all gathering around the radio and listening, that's, you know, good. That's a few years into into the early radio sets before that came along. So, yeah, your, your dinosaurs um, would be waiting for that rather than the headphones, wouldn't they? And when did, again, I'm throwing these questions at you because you're this fountain of knowledge about radio. When did they first start? playing music rather than just the sort of public announcements, the news. When was music a thing in radio? Well, you've got um, a mix of music, really, because, the, you know, the first broad, the first test broadcast, really, 1920, June 1920, uh, which, in fact, that's when I rushed to launch the, the, the podcast, the British Broadcasting Century. It was because it was the 100th anniversary of Dame Nellie Melba. So she was singing. That was a live performance, live concert. And it was a test 
really to see if there was an audience for this stuff, for this broadcasting malarkey, and people could hear it in Berlin, Madrid, and all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, so that was music. And then two years later, there was a bit of a slowdown in Britain anyway, when we sort of radio was banned uh, by the government because all of that opera singing interfered with military signals. People couldn't land planes because they could hear a soprano warbling. So it's banned for two years, came back. And then, yeah, you've got, uh, you know, speech radio for a while. But then they would, yeah, they'd have concerts. Um, and partly that was because the engineers wanted to test out uh, what whether the microphones would work. Do they need to invent a new microphone if someone's going to be singing into it rather than if they're speaking into it? So they had a lot of live singers early on and a few gramophone records. Um, even back in the war, in the First World War, before uh, radio properly started, they, they had a few people playing gramophone records for the troops and stuff like that. But uh, but yeah, your first DJ, a man called Christopher Stone, late late 20s, can't remember the exact year. Um, Christopher Stone was the first, uh, that was the first DJ show uh, on uh, on the BBC and um, he, he was his idea he came in said I've got some records I just want to play some records introduce them talk about them and that was the DJ yeah that's pretty cool that's pretty cool uh, is there too much radio now with DAB you know it's sort of there as there's heart there's gold there's those channels at the 1000 numbers and sky where there's just thousands or like podcasts, is there plenty of room for people to put out the content, the niche content that they want? And is that is that a good thing? Or would you rather there was, say, eight classic radio stations and that's your whack? Yeah, I think it's an argument for both, really, because, uh, you know, nowadays it's so easy to set up a radio station, really. I mean, podcasts is, is a stage easier, but you can, you know, this new one this year, Boom Radio, going for the boomers, um they um, <laughs> that's cool. you know that's why it's called it's called boom radio <laughs> and it's aimed at boomers you, you know yeah. rubbing it in yeah we own houses um and uh but we interviewed david hamilton on the most recent podcast episode about you know i interviewed him the day after boom radio launched actually and he said yeah they're all all of the presenters are presenting from their spare rooms they haven't got a studio there's no building there's no re- registered office apart from you know a spare room somewhere so nowadays you don't even need you know a studio you know we're speaking on microphones here if you get the right microphone and the right kit and the right acoustics anyone can broadcast a radio station so there's a benefit of choice um but you do lose something i guess and that is again go back to david hamilton uh diddy david hamilton he actually holds the record for uh audience because back in i think the early 80s his show was simulcast on radio one and radio two so he cleaned up on all of those listeners and he got, I think it was about 20 million tuned into his show every week uh, for a little while there. You know, and he, he's, um, you know, and there were, you know, big, big listenerships of, of lots of shows back then. And there was something magical, I think, that you don't ever have nowadays. And say with TV, you know, you walk on, walk on wise, what is it, 1978 Christmas special or whatever, getting 20, 25 million viewers. That doesn't happen anymore apart from Royal Weddings and a Cup Final. You know, that's about it. Um, but, you know, the knowledge that everyone in the country pretty much is gathered around the set is, is quite nice, I think, whether it's radio or TV. So you you miss out on that with the luxury of choice, maybe. Yeah. And to be a little bit of a pedant, I suppose, I don't know an awful lot about it, but is there only a certain amount of radio waves? When does radio then become 
just digital streaming. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm not an engineer myself, so I don't, don't know too much about the technical stuff, but I do know that even back in the early BBC, they had these big dilemmas about uh, about the limits of the radio frequencies and how much we can fit on this stuff. And that's really what sparked the BBC into being, because in America at the time, anyone could start a radio station, and they did. And Peter Eckersley, the chief engineer of the world, and Peter Eckersley, he tells the story about the origins of radio, really, is one American said to another American, hey, is that this, what's this radio thing? I could speak into this microphone and people <laughs> will hear what I say. And the other guy goes, yeah, you could say whatever you like. So you're saying I can say how great Blogs' is beef is and people will go and buy it? Sure they will. Great. you know. And they start a radio station based entirely on that. And they pretty much would, which is why in America you have all these commercial you know, radio stations literally started by one company just to sell their product. But America is big. Uh, and spread out over here we are a tiny island with a lot of uh you know we kind of punch above our weight and so the british government said we can't have the american free-for-all where anyone can start a radio station we've got a very narrow uh you know range of frequencies we can only have one company which was then the bbc you know and and on that on those frequencies they did have london birmingham manchester and so on so you could have several radio stations just like we have local radio today but yeah, it gets full, and then you get DAB, and then you can move online, and then uh, then the, the plains, the wilderness opens up to you. You can have as many as you want then, really, can't you? Yeah, I think they did try to control it a little bit in America. They brought in sort of really strange laws so that if one person said something, there would have to be an equal time given to the opposite opinion of that on radio for many years and I think they sort of get rid of that because obviously if I say um, the sky is blue th- there shouldn't be yeah. 10 seconds for somebody else disagreeing with that because it's wrong but they used to sort of give people equal footing yeah. basically I think yeah. and they eventually got rid of that which was a good thing I suppose because well, of- yeah it's an ongoing issue now with you know alleged bias whether it's bbc bias or other channels you know at what point do you say we should give an equal weight to the other opinion when actually the opinion you're giving you know it's a big thing yeah vaccinations for example do you give a platform to anti-vaxxers um and at what point do you go well there's enough of one person you know trump and and all of these you know the issues don't go away do they it's just what's the next issue going to be that actually you go well we need to give a person a platform for that and uh yeah i'm I'm just glad it's not me in that decision making uh chair you know yeah one of the most common phrases that you hear is, I'm entitled to my opinion. Mm. Well, argue when your opinion is wrong. Like, But we're not getting into yeah. that, Paul. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's for well, another like, you know, you know. Well, exactly. I mean, as, as a comedian as well, you get the whole freedom of speech argument. I was thinking everyone's entitled to their opinion, but you're not entitled to a platform. You know, no one's... The whole cancel culture thing. People go, well, you've axed my radio show because I said these opinions. Where's my freedom of speech? You are still free to say what you want, but you might have to say it in your own house on your <laughs> own to the wall rather than on your own national radio station. It's the way it goes, you know. Yeah, for sure. And just to wrap it up, Paul, have you ever seen a baby pigeon? No, I haven't. But we have got a lot of pigeons in our back garden pooping all over our lawn. And our dog goes out there and it's like a pigeon shit buffet out there. They absolutely <laughs> love the stuff. Um, so, no, I don't know about a baby pigeon. Um, although, of course, I suppose your pigeons go coo. So a baby pigeon must go coochie coochie coo. So uh, oh, dear. you can have that. <laughs> I think that's I'm the glad problem. you finally asked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Right, Paul, I've really enjoyed that conversation. And Great. Hopefully people have learned things, had a little bit of a laugh as well. But where can people find you? I'm going to post your links in the show description to your Twitter, your Facebook, your Facebook group, your website, Apple and Spotify links. But give yourself a shout out before we wrap it up. Well, I mean, really, all you need to say is my name is Paul Carenza, uh, which is the name I made up, as I said at the start. K-E-R-E-N-S-A is how you spell Carenza. Um, first rule of making up a surname, pick a name people can spell. I should be Paul Desk or something, or Paul, you know, <laughs> uh, Paul Orange. But, um, yeah, so I'm on the social medias. And if you want to find the podcast, you know where to find us. But thank you for having me on, on this one. Yeah, I would highly recommend um, your podcast, Paul. But thanks for listening, guys. We will speak to you soon. That was a Quite the Thing media production.